This morning I'm going to read the text in which I'm going to preach. It's familiar to you. should be at least. It's about the Good Samaritan. You remember the story? Guy goes down, gets beat up. People don't pay attention to him. So I want you to listen to this text from the perspective that you were there in the ditch. And you are conscious enough to hear all this talk going on, but you're not able to move. So from that perspective, listen to these words that Luke shares with us. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. The question, which then of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So words of confession. I have preached on this text before. In fact, it's one of my favorites. And for me, it's one of the right at the core of how we are to behave as Christians. Just for the record, I preached on it in January 1973 in the church I was pastoring in Trinity Church in San Bernardino. And I again preach it here at Westminster Church on November 1978. And Aubrey reminded me that I preached it again on May 23, 2004. Now, if you remember it, I'm flattered. (laughs) I have changed it some. Some is the same. This is one of the best known of the parables. We have written laws to protect people from lawsuits called Good Samaritan Laws to protect those who help. It's been used in several ways, especially been used to induce guilt. How can you go past that poor soul on the side of the road? It's been used to be little lawyers. 
has been used to manipulate, and you know how it is with lawyers, they're always looking for the fine print. So is this fellow who's asking the question. But for me, this story is at the heart of the gospel. And I want to take a look at it from perhaps a different perspective that I've titled Perspectives from the Ditch. Let's take a look at some of the characters, if we can. Well, the first is the priest, and I want to be a little careful how I portray the priest, because that's kind of what I do. It could get very personal here. Well, the priest is headed home. He's done his time in Jerusalem. He's been doing the ministry there. He's been ministering the sacraments. He's been listening to people, probably. And he's headed home. Now, there are days, I will confess, that I've just had enough. I mean, how much can you take in one day? I've also learned that ministry happens in the the interruptions. He's going home. He's done his job. And he's late for dinner, and he's busy, and he's preoccupied. And so he just shifts his travel to the other side of the road, and I'm going to ignore this, and I'm headed home. The Levite. Who knows what's in the Levite's head? Maybe this is a trap. I mean, you know, people do pretend like they're in trouble and then you end up being beaten and robbed. It still happens today. He looks at that soul and he says, well, what a bad judgment you had coming down here alone. How in the world did you do some dumb thing like that? Everybody knows it's a dangerous place and all that people know about it, they know that you drop 3,000 feet in 7 miles, 17 miles on a crooked road and at night especially the robbers lay in wait and take advantage of those who are unwise. Man, what were you thinking? He shifts the other side and goes on. I kind of wonder what the victim would say and what you kind of thought about hearing all this. I mean, forget how I got here. I know all that. Yeah, it was a dumb move. I was in a hurry. I need help. I can't provide for myself. I can't walk. And who becomes the hero of this story is a Samaritan. Now, let's put this in context. The Samaritans were less than not liked by the Jewish community, which Jesus is a part and speaking to. I think it's an understatement to say they despised them. They were a different religion, and there's some connections. We don't know what they are with the Muslim activity in that area as well. They were a different religion, in part. They had different ideas. In fact, probably the Samaritans were hated worse than the Romans. Does that set the scene? It's not in our national interest, one might think. To help this person out, why would we do that? But there's something I think Jesus is telling us. So what do you think of all this if you are hurting in the ditch, half dead? You really don't care who's there, do you? I mean, let's get down to basics. If it's your life, and you're hurting and you can't care for yourself, then maybe 
you'll reach out and take help anywhere. It's an interesting time about we've been in ditches. I'll share a couple. And this one's from the original sermon. It was early in our ministry. I had been serving a church in Eagle Rock on a part-time or interim basis. We had just received a call to the church in San Bernardino. Pat was working at Huntington Memorial Hospital, and I moved out to our place in San Bernardino. We had just bought. She's five months pregnant, finishing up her time in agreement with Huntington Memorial Hospital, and we had she was staying with her parents. So she's at the end of a shift. She gets in our car, and she drives onto the freeway, and the tire goes flat. Now, there's several things you do when a tire goes flat. You know, one called AAA, we're not members, can't afford that. It's before cell phones. So she stands out looking at the tire, like maybe it's going to inflate itself, you know. It doesn't. Cars are whizzing by. It's rush hour. People are seeing her out there. No one stops. And she keeps looking at it and wondering, what am I going to do? And this man comes up who is from a minority group. And during the 1970s, early 70s, it was rather tense at times. He pulls off the side, and Pat described his car as previously owned, well previously owned. Gets out in worker clothes and says, do you have a spare? And she said, yes. And he says, I'll bet it's flat. And she responded, no, my husband takes care of the cars, and I'm sure it's not flat. She was right. It was not flat. So he whips up, gets the jack. Change his tire. And then he says, make sure your husband <clears throat> takes care of this spare tire and gets it fixed. She offered him some cash. He says, no, no, no cash. I'm just on my way. You have a need. I'm gone. He got in his car. And <laughs> Why did he stop? All the people running past this Nurse, five months pregnant, sitting on the side of the road, looking at this tire. Why did he stop? I don't know. Maybe it was a nurse thing. Or maybe it was a pregnant mom-to-be. Or maybe he saw his daughter there. Or a spouse. I don't know what, but I know he saw the situation differently than did all the folks who are running by. Whatever it is, I've always been very grateful that he stopped and helped out. Another story. We are on Lake Mead, and my dad had a boat. It was an older boat. He had died. My mom thought if I fixed it up, that it might be good for the grandkids. So I found a guy who would work on an old, old engine, had to bribe him a little bit to do it, with a little guilt. You know, my dad had died, these are grandkids, they really want to enjoy it. Well, okay, I'll fix it. So we were up at Lake Mead, and it was the last day, and we'd been water skiing. We were out 
about two miles in a cove. And suddenly I put the power to it to bring one of the kids up, and the engine goes, it's done. The good news is we're still in the cove. So I turned the boat around, we got to shore. Couldn't get it started, it was done. We had three flares in the boat. Some people were skiing by and I waved them down. They said, what do you need? And I said, we need a tow. He said, well, we're busy right now, but when we go back in, we'll send somebody out. That was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 4 o'clock, I hadn't seen anybody come out to tow us. So I somebody else down. I said, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're skiing, but I'll, when we go back in, we'll send somebody out. Now, if you have been like me, it's a dangerous place. You know, winds, lightning, uh, a lot of things can happen out there. Well, to make a long story a little bit shorter, not much, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm on the last flare. And I look out, and I see the port red light and a running light on a boat. So I pop the flare, and I start waving it, hoping that they'll see it. And I watch this boat, and I still keep seeing the red port side light. And then suddenly I saw the red and the green, and I knew he had turned the bow toward us. And he was coming directly at us. That's good news. He came in slowly, and then when he got close, he threw this humongous spotlight on us. And there we were, the boat, three kids, probably under the age of 12, 10, and my wife, and we're waving. And so he comes on board, and he pulls up on the dock, and he asks what's happened. I told him, he said, well, let me give you a tow in. Can't imagine how I felt. So the kids and the wife get in his boat, and I stay in our boat to steer it and keep it going straight as we tow it in. He towed us in, and we moved to uh, the shore. We went out, and he helped me get the car and get the boat on the trailer. And That was about 3.30 in the morning. I asked him... What caused him to come take care of us? And he said, well, he said, Lake Mead can be dangerous. I said, have you ever been stranded out there? And he said, no, never part of my personal experience. But I took Coast Guard training. And one of the things they teach you in the Coast Guard school is to be aware of people who may be in trouble. And so he said, I've learned to be aware when I'm out here, I know the dangers of this, I know the lightning, and we'd seen some lightning that night, and the winds were coming up a little. I was grateful for his doing that, for his going out of the way. It was interesting, that was a family from Simi Valley. They rescued us that night because he just saw the situation differently. They were going out to anchor and spend the night and fish the next day. It's an old saying. Fools never learn. Smart people learn from experience. And wise people learn from others. I think one of the key pieces to this, whether you learn it by your own experience or whether you learn it from the experience of others and you listen, is the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy just says, you poor old soul. The Levite and the priest walked by. They may well have been sympathetic toward this person's plight, but it certainly didn't do anything. 
Empathy is the ability to be understood from the other's point of view. It's to put your feet and your heart a bit in their place and to understand what they're experiencing and what's going on. It's one of the things that's absolutely critical to our Stephen Ministry program. We're going to talk about this Monday night. It's an alcohol problem until it's your niece. It's a drug abuse problem until it's your spouse or grandchild. It's a juvenile delinquency problem until you get the call in the middle of the night. It's divorce statistics until it's your marriage. It's cancer survivability odds until it's your diagnosis. It's a difference between looking at it factually and looking at it from the perspective of the person in the ditch. I don't know if you read Monday's Ventura News Chronicle. There's an interesting article in there about Bradley Arrowwood, if you saw it. Bradley was sentenced to a life imprisonment without parole. He said when he was 16, he dropped out of school. His dad told him, you'll never amount to anything. And so at age 16, he dropped out and began illegal activities until he was sentenced with a murder of life without parole. And he says, I deserved every bit for what I did. Bradley's part of an educational program that is going on in our state prisons. Previously, it was only correspondence, but now they're allowing professors to go in and teach classes. That's up the enrollment from about 4,000 to 13,000. He's being paroled. 23 years later, he had got his high school GED. He has two AA degrees, and he has 24 credits short of a bachelor's degree. It's interesting, isn't it, how someone sees a person like this? Is he a lifer, felon, convicted, in the slammer? Or does someone see him just a bit differently? And those college professors are going in, and it's inconvenient. There's a lot of things you have to do to get into a prison place to teach. And they need the personal contact. He said, that's what students need here, and they need some remedial help. So why do they do that? Because someone looked at that differently, from a different perspective, and saw Bradley much differently. To this lawyer that Jesus is talking about, he's trying to figure out how to do the least he can and what the limits are, so now you can go on about choosing life. Jesus changes the question of who's my neighbor to how to be a neighbor. Our SYFers are leaving on a trip. They've been doing this for 42 years each summer going to a different place, a mission place, to serve. And if it's nothing else, it's to see others' perspective of faith in a different context, a different way. A different way you don't often learn in Westlake Village. It's reminiscent of Jesus' statements, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who have needs. That's why we're involved in shelter here and AA, providing a place for them. 
That's why we're involved in Haiti, where we have a personal presence, Macobi, Peru. There are folks who gather here each week because it's seen a little differently from a different perspective. See, Jesus' words to his followers go beyond national interest, religious boundaries, ethnic and racial stereotypes, political positions. The word is God's love is extended to all regardless. Your experiences and the experiences of others are sources of ministry for us. We learn from each other. That's why we come to worship. That's why diversity is so good. Yes, you can go to the mountain and worship and pray, but the only voice you're probably going to hear is yours. Diversity is necessary. Those experiences that we have can leave us one of two ways often. Bitter, resentful, or grateful. And that's a choice. We choose that in how we will respond. Jesus knew the cross. He knew the ditch. It was a cross. Psalm 22 that Coy read for us begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words sound familiar. They're words from the cross. He rose the third day. He knows the ditch. And he calls us to ministry wherever we are and to look at it sometimes from a different perspective. perspective that God loves all. So be it.